There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I am your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, then you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Every week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately put to use. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at EliseCortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's open a dialogue and explore what's going on for you and see how I might be able to help. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected and thanks for listening. Now on to this week's program. With us today is Ron Price, an internationally recognized business business advisor, executive coach, speaker, and CEO of Price Associates, a global leadership advisory firm. He is also the co-author of the book called Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. We'll be talking about his book today on the program. He joins us today from Boise, Idaho. Ron, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you, Elise. It's a pleasure to be with you, especially because I love what you're focused on. Right. I do. I think we've got just a couple things in common, don't we? We do. Yeah. I think I love how you call it working on purpose because it's really a double entendre. You are, yes, absolutely spot on right. Thank you for getting that. It is a double entendre, and I absolutely intended that. Not everybody gets that, so kudos for you. It's meant that, yes, you're working on your journey of purpose, and you're also working at whatever you're doing from a work standpoint purposefully. So, yes, thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, back to you. I want to say how much I really, really enjoyed reading your book. Uh, I read it cover to cover, and it was just enjoyable. It was a quick read, as you said, but it was just jam-packed with so many great things that I want to get to as many as we can in, the, in this conversation here. But um, I, let's first start by saying that you mentioned that leadership is about influence. And of course, you define that as the capacity or power to have an effect on someone or something. And your book is focused on the main character, Emily, who is struggling to get promoted in a male-dominated tech company. And she somehow finds this amazing guy, David, and really recruits her into her life to become her mentor. And so, listeners, that's what the general book is about. But the whole way that it was created, Ron, I just really want to applaud you for the creativity and the way that you let us in. And so first, thank you for, I know what it takes to create a book. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And it really was a labor of love with Stacey Ennis, the co-author. We both concluded that we never could have done uh, a book like this by ourselves, that we needed each other to do it. So it was one of my, uh, probably the highlights of my life of collaboration, being able to work with somebody in such a wonderful way. Okay, two things to that then, Ron. First, um, how wonderful that you got the experience of, of collaborating like that in a way that really contributed to both your lives. And two, how beautiful since, of course, you know, part of what you talk about in your book is, is collaboration. So how wonderful that you literally, you know, experienced it yourself on even a bigger stage than you had before. I think that's gorgeous. And I think 
at least that so much of the valuable things that happen in life happen serendipitously. Mm-hmm. So uh, Stacy actually was hired to be a executive editor for one of my books four books ago that I worked on. I'd written it and published it, and I got a new publisher who wanted to do a rewrite, and she told me Stacy was the person. That's how we got introduced to each other, and that was over 10 years ago. And our relationship has gradually grown over those years. And this is really the summation of us having shared purpose and being able to bring our unique experiences together into a shared purpose so that we could give something as a gift to others. Mm, And so gorgeous, Ron. Thank you for that. Well, I want to talk about, there's lots of things that you have in the book that I think are so useful and, and accessible, and I want to get through as many as we can for, for our listeners, because I really like for them to be able to walk away from listening to us, being able to put something immediately into their lives. And so first, you talk about three kinds of influence, control, collaboration, and concern. Would you say a little bit more about each of them and how they relate to each other? Yeah, well, first, I need to give a little bit of credit to Stephen Covey, who started me thinking down this path when he wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He talked about two circles, influence and concern. And over the years, as I worked with leaders, I began to recognize that there really are three circles of influence. The first one being control, the one that we have the most power in, and it's really our power center. And then, as you said, uh, collaboration and finally concern. So going back to that circle of control, The question really is, what are the things that I can take 100% ownership over? What are the things in my life that are there because I've made an intentional choice to make them a part of my life? And how can I grow my own influence by focusing on those things that I control 100%? So I think of things like, uh, it sounds maybe trite, but what I put in my mouth, food and drink, that's something I can control 100%. Um, our kids are all grown up and gone. We're empty nesters. So I get to control what time I go to bed and what time I get up in the morning. <laughs> um, I realize not everybody has that, uh, all of that control. But probably the most important one and the one that really revolutionized my own life it went way back to the late 70s when I decided that the reason I never had any time for personal development was because I hadn't chosen to own any time and to announce it to everybody else. So I started coming into the office 30 minutes every day. I told, we had something back then called secretaries. <laughs> and I told my secretary that unless it was life-threatening, I didn't want to be interrupted for that first half hour. And I announced it to our entire staff. And what I discovered in the first few months of doing that was that that time was always there, but I had never claimed it. And that the only reason I hadn't been investing more in myself was because I hadn't chosen to. So that really set me on a pattern. Uh, My career has gone through all kinds of transitions. At one point, I was the president of an international company with offices in eight countries, serving over 100,000 customers. And I had four hours every day that I could own to focus on the things that mattered most to me. Now, at least I've got to confess to you, I don't have that time anymore. I'm back down to about two hours in my current role. But still, the whole idea is what is there in your life that you can control 100%? And I'm convinced everybody has something that they can decide to own and to advance their own personal power. And, you know, I appreciate that so much, Ron. You do, you really illustrate that whole point beautifully in the book. It's so accessible and it's such an important point to take away. Um, 
Okay, so that was control. What about collaboration? Well, so collaboration, I think think the real key to magical collaboration today is finding shared interest. It's not just finding somebody else who's going to help you get done what you want to get done, but it's finding people who have the same desire, the same interest as you have, and then figuring out how you can build what we refer to in the book as a virtuous conspiracy. I love that, by the way. Well, you don't have to announce it to everybody. You just decide between you, how whether it's two or it's 20, that we're going to advance this common interest that we have. And it may be improving the culture where you work. Or it may be um, helping somebody to become successful that you know is struggling. It could be helping somebody who's got extra uh, burdens that they have to carry at home. Whatever it is, if it's a shared interest, you get together and you begin to work together. And you have, together, you have influence that you didn't have when you were alone. And there's some things in life that we can't control 100%. We need other people to help us. So that's the idea behind this circle of collaboration, which again, the real question is how big could we grow that? It's really only limited by our imagination and by finding other people who have similar interests as us. Mm-hmm. I love that. Beautifully illustrated. And again, your book is a great illustration of that kind of collaboration too. And then the third area, concern. Yeah, the the third area concern are areas that we worry about, that they impact us, they eat up some of our mind space, and at least to us, our influence there is invisible. It may may be that we actually don't have any influence, but maybe we do have it, but we don't see it yet. It's not visible to us yet. And it's, I I always think of the example of watching the evening news. I, I enjoy watching the evening news at the end of a day of work, but the truth is sometimes the stories that I watch on the evening news are unsettling. And one of the reasons they're unsettling is they frustrate me because they don't represent the way I want the world to be. And I don't feel that I have any power at all to affect a change there. Sometimes it's something that's outside of your control inside the organization that you're working in. It's something that's happening at, quote, the top of the organization or the consideration that maybe your company is going to be sold or there are going to be layoffs. These are all things that we feel helpless and they eat up a lot of our energy. And, and the message that we have in the book is, Don't give too much time to those things. Spend your time in your circle of control, your circle of collaboration, and that circle of concern will shrink or it might even become obvious to you that you actually have some form of influence you didn't realize you had. Maybe it's indirect, but you might someday discover that there is an opportunity to influence those things that seem to be outside of your reach right now. Mm-hmm. Beautifully shared, Ron, beautifully shared. Now we get to the next point, which I think is really, really important for our leaders or our listeners to understand is you, the way that you talk about a, a leader, which can be anyone you say, which I completely agree with, not just somebody who has a team reporting to them, but a leader is a person of influence has, who has learned to work pretty well within those three, those three areas of, of influence. And I think that is so great because, you know, the, what you talk about in the book with Emily, the character, she wanted to advance her career and 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 so in, in the process to do so she needed to be able to develop her influence and I think I think that is such a great point for our listeners to understand if you really want to develop your leadership what you really are trying to develop is your influence you really are and um, oftentimes it's you developing your influence through focusing on the circle of control and the circle of collaboration that positions you or makes you attractive or opens up the door 
for you to be able to demonstrate that influence in a more powerful way, especially if you want to be more influential up the organization. This is a great way to, we could call it building your personal brand. It's building your personal circle of power so that when those opportunities open up, you're ready to step through the door. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Now, related to that, which I also really appreciated, there's just, I, re- I think you've just really got a fresh look at some of these things that I, that one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on the show and, and, and pertinent to that is your, just your definition of integrity, Ron. You liken it to the nervous system where all the parts are working and relating properly to each other, which results in a capacity greater than the sum of its parts. I've never heard that definition of integrity, but I really like it. Yeah, great. Thank you. Well, you know, at least in the kind of work that you and I do, words become more and more important. And how we define those words is where all the life is. It's where all the energy is. And yeah, I think integrity does include, uh, in most people's definition, honesty and being ethical. But when you look at the three different dimensions of leadership, you begin to recognize there's a very different way of defining integrity in each of those dimensions. And this broader definition that integrity represents wholeness and connectedness and everything functioning as it should becomes a much more meaningful definition at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I wanted, I, I got all those related to each of the three areas of influence, and I don't know how much time we'll have to, to cover all of them, but if we can, I do want to do that. But before we get there, there's something that I want to surface that I think is really important that that you and Stacy called out in your book, um, and that is that it's it, it's that Emily, the main character, was passed over for promotion by her boss Mitchell because he was concerned about her being pressed with family obligations. So in other words, really, he was discriminating against her on the basis of what you call parental liability while her male peers who also have children were being promoted and I think this is such an important thing to talk about Ron I really appreciate that because we know that he wasn't trying to do to take her career from her and he wasn't really thinking about how his decision was impacting her career Um, how was that you decided to make that part of the story well in the very beginning when we started talking about the book, we did have some conversations about who we were going to have a hero or a heroine and, and what context did we want to tell the story in. And it didn't take us very long to realize that this is such a real issue that so many people are facing today. And as you said, Mitchell, he probably had reasonably good intentions, but the impact was very, very different than what his intentions were through his intentions because he cared for. Emily and he thought she was a good leader. He thought she was a good manager. He became paternalistic and he made decisions for her based on assumptions that were really unfair and that a lot of people face today. I, I think one of the most common comments that Stacy and I get from people who've read the book, women in particular, is how real that situation is for so many of them. And this is sometimes referred to as unconscious bias where we have a bias against somebody for a reason and we're not even consciously aware of it or we think we're doing them a favor and we're really not. So it's a, the, the interplay between Emily and Mitchell is interesting in the story because Emily had to wait for the right moment when she could speak with power, where she was leading with logic and not emotion and she had to confront this paternalistic attitude that he had. And Mitchell, for his part, struggled and had to really face the choice of was he going to listen and understand or was he just going to defend himself? 
And after a little bit of defensiveness, he decides to open up and he begins to recognize that Emily's teaching him something about himself. And fortunately for both of them, he begins to realize that he's in error, not because of his intent, but because of how he went about trying to help her and that he needed to back up and give her the power to decide whether or not she was going to accept the position instead of him disqualifying her based on things that he had no right to make judgments about. Yes. And what I really want to acknowledge, Ron, is just how beautifully you did that. You and Stacey did that in the story to really illustrate her, um, Emily's growth, her own ability to develop her influence, her, her voice, her communication, and her transformation in that process to be able to conduct that conversation with the impact that it had. I mean, that is that is what it is. I mean, this is the whole reason we're up to this, right? So I just really want to acknowledge how beautifully illustrated all those points of her own leadership development and her journey came to fruition in that conversation. That was just one of the things, of course, but beautifully done. Thank you, Elise. And I want to give a lot of credit to Stacy because she's by far the better writer between the two of us. And um, that part of what made the partnership work so well is that we each knew where our strength was and where we could contribute. We had a lot of respect for each other. And that created a, uh, it created a wonderful open space for us to do something that really took the best advantage of what both of us brought to it. Beautiful illustration of how we should be working together, in my view. And with that, let's take our first break, if we can, Ron. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Ron Price of Price Associates, a global leadership advisory firm and co-author of Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. He joins us today from Boise, Idaho. We've been talking about some of the some of the points in this book that I thought were particularly interesting. We'll continue the conversation after the break. Stay with us. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Ron Price, an internationally recognized business advisor, executive coach, speaker, and CEO of Price Associates, a global leadership advisory firm. He's also the co-author of Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Okay, so continuing on here, again, trying to generate as much as we can for our listeners, Ron, another part of your book that I thought was quite useful is you teach in the book that it's important for leaders to define their values, and if they don't, they're vulnerable to failure. Can you say more about that? Yes, and in particular, we put this in the context of talking about what it means to have character as a leader. It's actually a form of leadership that everybody, no matter what their position, in or out of an organization, can influence others through how they show up 
through what they stand for and how they demonstrate their lives. So we break it down into two different questions that Emily ponders. The first question is, what are the values by which I choose to govern my own behaviors? And then the second question is, what are the values by which I choose to relate to other people? And of course, sometimes there's a little bit of overlap between those two, but the reason that she's pondering both of those questions is because how I choose to govern my own behaviors has to do with things like personal accountability and self-confidence and courage and resilience. She chooses five that she's going to focus on out of a list that David, her mentor, provides to her. And then how she relates to others can include things like empathy or a commitment to the extent to which it's within her ability to be able to resolve conflict or um, to seek to understand others before being understood. These are all examples of how we build character. And then ultimately, the extent to which we demonstrate those values in our behaviors is what builds our influence as a character leader with other people. And I, I really appreciate it and got something for myself out of that, Ron. Um, that those are two distinctive lists. And then, of course, you talk about the importance of making sure that those are fully present daily in your life. You remind yourself of those those values. So you can govern yourself accordingly. Very useful, I thought. So at least that, that, that really makes me wonder if you have some that you'd be willing to share with us. Because I've, I've been using these for many, many years to think about who I am and who I want to be. But w- w- was there a particular value that stuck out to you that you say, this is who I want to be, this is how I want to show up? Uh, not one that Emily had, but just thinking about it for myself, for, for me, absolutely, I stand for empowerment and, and inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do that. That's how I choose to govern myself. And that's how I choose to 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 uh, color my relationships. And so in everything I do in my work, pretty much, it's a, it's a threat across my life. So it just was it was powerful to really make sure that we we have those values really in our, in front of us to help remind us to to live from them. Yeah, and and I think if you're clear about your purpose, that informs or empowers those values as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Great. Now, another thing that you talk about in the book that I also thought was useful, especially for people that are developing their leadership, maybe they're earlier in their leadership, is you talk about three dimensions of leadership, those being positional, expert, and character. And you mentioned that a combination of all three can be quite good. Um We'll talk about as many as we can as we have time, but first, expert leadership I thought was interesting, and you say that people will follow you as an expert leader if you know how to do something they need or if you can solve problems they have. Yes, and so this comes back to if a leader is a person of influence, what causes people to be influenced or to say that they want to follow somebody? And one of the three reasons that we follow people is because of the value that they bring to us as an expert. So I think of my tax accountant who I've worked with for many years now. I have a tremendous amount of confidence in his knowledge. Uh, By the way, also his character. But really because of his knowledge, when he tells me what I should pay in taxes, I never question him because he's convinced me over time that he brings me a tremendous amount of value there by giving me something I don't know myself. But it's just as true when I go to my dermatologist and he tells me there's a little spot of of, uh, pre-skin cancer on my nose that he needs to take care of. You know, I trust him. It takes, I sometimes question because the first time this happened, he came at me with what looked like a blowtorch. 
turned out that he was going to freeze <laughs> off that little piece of my nose. But, you know, the question in that moment is, do I trust this person's expert leadership? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's true when you talk to anybody who's providing you with expertise or can be your auto mechanic. It's anybody who's providing you with expertise. You're letting them influence you because of what they know and what they can do. And in order to have integrity in this area, we write about the expert leader has to be actually providing meaningful value. If, if, if I, as the follower of the ex- expert leader, don't recognize the value, I'm not going to follow them. But then they also have to stay relevant, which means they have to stay current. They have to keep adding to that expertise by understanding that what they learned two or three or five years ago is no longer relevant. You know, at least it's amazing to me right now that I'm told that a freshman in biology class at any college in the United States today, by the time they graduate, what they learn in biology will already be obsolete. Four I, uh, years later. Yeah. And that the, the half-life right now for a college degree is about four years. And that human knowledge right now is doubling every 12 months. So this all says, if you're going to be an expert, you in order to keep being an expert, you need to keep learning. And then beyond that, can you think about other areas of expertise that would enhance or would complement the area of expertise that you already have? So these are all ways that we think about integrity in expert leadership. Oh, two things to that. Loved all of that. Um, one, one of the reasons is that I, a big reason that I continue to host this radio show, which is a fair amount of work, I do it on a weekly basis, is for that very reason, Ron, is to keep learning, keep growing, keep keeping myself, pushing myself beyond what I what I knew last week. So that's a big reason I do this show. And I've done, I think you are episode number 224. Wow. Yeah, so I'm 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 working at it, Ron. I'm working. Um, the the second thing I wanted to say about this area of of um, integrity and expert leadership that I thought was really really useful. I wanted to share this with our listeners here today. Is you say one of the ways that we can develop a new expertise beyond what we have today is by identifying a trend that will impact the company in the future, maybe five or ten years from now, and then develop your own expertise in those areas. I thought that was just brilliant. What a great way to give our listeners something that they can immediately walk from walk away with and start to put into practice for themselves yeah and I think one of the common themes that comes through the book over and over and over again is the the value of intentionality of deciding that you're going to do something and then building focus and discipline to accomplish that and around expert leadership one of the metaphors that we use to to encourage people we hope for it is to think about what it takes to become a phd to to earn a phd and if you look at it from a sort of a structural or conceptual level what you do when you're earning a phd is you first study the thought leaders in your area that you want to become known for and they say in the early years of your PhD, you're only allowed to quote other people. You can't quote yourself. <laughs> right, right. So, and it's the whole idea behind it is that you're feeding yourself with the thought leaders in that particular area. And then eventually you've been feeding yourself and now it's time for you to develop something new. You become a thought leader. They call it 
writing a dissertation when you're working on your PhD program. And then the third step is you submit that to a group of your peers to defend it so that they can say, yes, in fact, you have added to the body of knowledge. You are truly an expert now because you not only digested what the other experts were saying, but you've created something new and then they confer on you a PhD. So our idea is maybe you can't afford to go to university or or you don't want to go into the academic depth and rigor that you'd have to to earn a university PhD, but why not use that same concept to say, what it, where's there a trend or an interest that I have that I could devote the next three to five years to studying the thought leaders in that area, to learning from them, and eventually developing some of my own ideas and then presenting those to others to see if, in fact, I've created new value that makes me an expert leader worthy of followers. Mm-hmm. That's so beautifully rendered and accessible, Ron. Thank you for that beautiful gift for, for me and for our listeners. I just think it's a, it's just a gem. And it is pretty much what I did for my own PhD. Thank you very much, <laughs> <laughs> by the way. And you're still uh, learning them in maybe a less formal way, but just the fact that you ha- oh, have over 200 episodes right now and that this is delivered not only live, but it's delivered through podcasts, that's what I would refer to as a peripheral area of expertise, a complementary area of expertise that you've developed to continue to increase your influence. No question. No question about it. And I love every single moment of it. And I get to talk with people like you in the process. So sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) Well, kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, next, I want to talk about one of the other um, kinds of leadership that you talk about, positional leadership and the integrity that you that you bring, you talk about around that one. So you talk about it's important how you manage your relationships to and how you're supposed to connect to the position of, as a leader. And I think that's great. You, you also talk about how you manage down to your team, but also managing up and how important integrity is to continue to keep that logic in front of the emotion and, and that leaders will respect and admire you and ask more for from you and give you help when you do that process of managing up well. I think in my work, I find so often people really, they need help with managing up. So can you say more about managing up? Well, um, it's asking yourself, what is it that I can do that's going to create value or add value to the people above me in the organization? What do I need to do to make sure that they understand what I can contribute and what do I do to help them understand what their impact is on me and how they could increase the kind of impact that they want to have on me. So it's engaging in this. Again, it's a proactive, it's exercising your circle of control. The thing that you have a hundred percent control over to think about how do I make sure that I'm being the most positive, the most effective, the most influential in how I interact with people above me. And sometimes you just need to ask them, what can I do that would be more valuable to you? Or if there's one thing I could work on that would make me more influential in this organization or create a better voice for me, a stronger voice for me to help advancing the mission or the values of this organization, what might it be? It's it's recognizing that they're human beings and yes, they do represent a position But if you see them as human beings and you look for the same kind of opportunities for virtuous conspiracies, for collaborating based on shared interests, quite often you can find shared interests between you all the way up to the top of the organization. And just the acknowledgement of that with them will increase your 
brand in their eyes. It will increase their respect for you and the opportunities that you have to make greater contributions. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And with that, Ron, let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Ron Price of Price Associates, a global leadership advisory firm. And he's also the co-author of Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. He joins us today from Boise, Idaho. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Ron Price. He's an internationally recognized business advisor, executive coach, speaker, and CEO of Price Associates, a global leadership advisory firm. He's also the co-author of Growing Influence, a story of how to lead with character, expertise, and impact. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last little bit of time together here, Ron, let me start with something that you have in the book that I think is just really, really, again, accessible. And it's this bit that you talk about how to manage relationships and also and how to give feedback. And you reference a study about observing couples that predicted that they'd stay together based on just one single behavior. And that was the number of times that one party demonstrated kindness or respect compared to the times they criticized their spouse. That needs to be like a five to one ratio for things to work. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you consistently demonstrate kindness and respect, you've, you've, you've got a 92% chance of, of a successful marriage. Now, the reason that, that sounds interesting to me is that you then talk about the same thing goes for the workplace, except it's a three to one ratio of kindness and respect for every one criticism. That is so, again, accessible. Will you say just a little bit more about how you've seen this sh- work and why, it, why it's so useful? Yeah, I, I love one of the phrases. One of my friends, Randy Lisk, wrote a book called Bumper Sticker Leadership. <laughs> and it's it's sort of like a coffee table book. You open it up and there's a bumper sticker on the back of his BMW that's a leadership lesson. And then the other, the other page uh, next to it talks a little bit about what it means. And one of his bumper stickers is we hired workers and human beings showed up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think in today's world, at least, we, there is a much more of a balancing between employee and employer. They, they, they really are co-equals. And a great leader recognizes that the people who work with her were not created specifically just to work for her, that this is a part of their life, but that if we're going to have real great synergism and if we're going to have really successful employee experiences – we need to recognize that it's not just about the work that needs to be done. It's also about the person who's doing the work and what's interesting to them, what motivates them, what they naturally do well, what their bigger purpose is. Really, it plays so well to your whole mission of working on purpose. And so um, this whole idea that if you're going to have a strong 
relationship with the people that you work with, you have to recognize that there's this thing sort of like a bank account that you're depositing into based on the interactions that you have with them. This actually goes all the way back to a, a theme and a value that was started at Scandinavian Airlines where the CEO of Scandinavian Airlines talked about every time we touch a customer, it's a moment of truth. We've either added equity to the relationship or we've taken equity away depending on whether it was a positive or negative experience. And in the same way, the people that we work with day in, day out, and this does not have to do with going down or up. This has to do with everybody that you interact with in the organization. Every time you touch, you have a contact point with them in some way, sharing information, encouraging them, exchanging energy, any kind of thing, anything like that that's going on, If it's more positive than negative, you're building equity in the relationship. And the research, which comes out of the University of Washington, and it was led by Dr. John Gottman, says that at work, if it's three positive deposits for every one withdrawal, you're going to have a pretty healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. And then, of course, you go on to say in the book, and we'll just touch on it lightly here, that you apply that that same idea to feedback to your people as well as how you interact with your your own peers. So we talked about managing up, managing down. And then, of course, you know, relating to and managing our peers, you have a, a bit in there that I thought was so great about being gracious, helpful, help them feel comfortable sharing their ideas and opinions, don't cut them off, don't demean them or condescend. And same thing, give apply that three to one ratio in feedback and I thought that was also very very useful and again I don't I think that I, candidly probably at least I don't have any original ideas at all it's just that I've learned from other thought leaders and I see those ideas through a new prism so this all comes back this comes from a book by Rob Cross called The Power of Social Networking where he said there's a difference between informal leadership in an organization and formal leadership and sometimes your informal leaders actually have more power than the formal leaders more influence and then he outlines that the way that we develop informal influence in an organization is by helping people get their work done helping them solve stuff problem uh, solve tough problems helping them feel energized by spending time with us and helping them feel freedom to share their ideas and opinions those four ways are how we build relationships in a way where the relationship actually becomes life-giving instead of life-sucking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole thing of contributing energy is very, very important to me too, and I, I, I gravitated to that as well. And then just quickly, you and I spoke on the break about what you just said about how you d- don't really have any original ideas, but you've been kind of, you've repackaged them through your own prism. <laughs> and of course, I agree with that. Well, that's what we all do. But like we were saying together on the break, right? What we're doing is we're we're filtering our messages through our unique purpose. That's our lens of how we see the world in a way that maybe just once for somebody can hear it differently when they didn't hear it before. And that's the beauty of it. It is. And it because it becomes a part of us, it's an expression of us, is more than just information. It really does have that energy and that creativity attached to it as well. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. It's a great place to stand from. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Okay, so for the we're getting close to the end here already, and I really want to talk about some of the things that you mentioned in the book that great leaders do. I think this is, again, very, very useful for our listeners. And one of the things that you say, there's three that I wanted to talk about, is turning problems into opportunities. 
Yes. Um, it's an amazing story that we don't have time for right now, but Napoleon Hill was a journalist in Appalachia who got the opportunity to interview um, uh, uh, his name escapes me right now, um, but uh, Carnegie, Andrew, Car- Andrew Carnegie. And as a result of all of that, he wrote a number of books that have had a huge impact on the human success story. One of his quotes that I've used for my whole life as a guidepost is that every problem, heartache, or failure has contained within it a seed of equivalent or greater benefit. And this really is part of the job of a leader is to help us overcome obstacles, is to help us see that every problem is it's not a stumbling block. We can turn it into a stepping stone if we understand how to use that problem to our advantage instead of to our disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, one of the things that we that, that I talk about just as in my own journey of, of purpose is that, it, it, is that when we embrace those things that those adversities that we've that we've overcome and really come to recognize how they've made us actually into who we are today. That's a very different view of looking at problems. Yeah. It really is. And it's not that we want to keep going through difficult times, but it's, it's that we're going to use difficult times to make us a better person, which is going to give us better times. No question about it. No question. Now, the another one that you talk about here in terms of what, what makes for a great leader is, and this is really one of my favorites that you talk about, you say great leaders inspire people to make commitments they wouldn't otherwise make. Yeah, I think that really one of the great tests of leadership, and I'm toward the end of my career, when you look back over your career, the things that you're the most appreciative for are the relationships. And if you had the opportunity to inspire or encourage somebody else to do something big, and they come back to you and say, I never would have done it had it not been for your encouragement. So I think a great leader sees potential in people before they see it and calls it out and helps to give them the courage to pursue something that they would have never pursued had it not been for the voice of that leader. Well, and think about what how that really breaks down to what we're talking about here, leadership. If we are individually leading people to their potential and who they can become, that is, to me, that, that's leadership. Well, that's me working on purpose, Elise. My mm-hmm. mission in life is to help people recognize and pursue their greatest potential because I can't think of anything more meaningful than helping somebody to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we only get one precious life, don't we? And we don't know just when or how long for we get it. So working at that sooner rather than later is important. And I can tell you for me, in terms of leaders and bosses, and my listeners who've heard me for a while know this, um, I was fired when I was 19 by a boss that I absolutely loved. Loved because he saw that I could do so much more in life, and he said it'd be a crime to keep you here. Wow! And uh, he, I, he's still a dear friend of mine today. Some, you know, whatever that's been, um, 30, 35 years later. Um, so yes, it's it's incredible. He helped me. He he led me to what I could become. Yeah, that's beautiful. It and, is beautiful. And the hope is that we can do that for others because at the end, that's the thing that we'll treasure the most. Well, and and think about that. I mean, I know today he's 84 years old now. I just talked to him last week. He's back in the hospital. He's got some health concerns, but he has made, talk about making a difference and mattering to me. I have stuck with this man for decades now because of the difference he made in my life. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm, It is. So I wanted to really share with our listeners so you could recognize the difference you can really make when you, when you do this leadership thing well and, and for the right intent. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And again, a a leader doesn't have to have a position or a title to be that kind of an encourager. 
Right. You just you just have to know the person, recognize their potential, and encourage them to pursue it. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and that maybe goes to the last point that I wanted to make about what you say about great leaders. You say great leaders transcend self-interest and self-promotion, and what captures their attention and passion is much bigger than themselves. They want to make a difference. Yeah, and that was very intentional. I I don't think that it's realistic to tell a leader to forget about self-interest or self-promotion. I'm not even sure if that's healthy. I think of my own children, and do I want to tell them to forget about their own needs or their own aspirations? I don't think that's the right thing. But what is the right thing, I think, is don't stop there. Go beyond that. Transcend self-interest and self-promotion because you've caught a sense of purpose that's greater than just taking care of yourself. It's your way, as Steve Jobs used to say, it's your little way to put a dent in the universe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and to that point, when I read that part of your book, I was thinking about um, uh, Aaron Hurst, who's an author. He was on my radio show as well, and he wrote The Purpose Economy, and he says, for something to generally qualify for a purpose, one, you have to be serving an audience beyond yourself, two, in the service of doing that purpose, you're personally growing, and three, you're creating a community. Uh, so to me, that was conjured when you when you made those points. Wonderful. That's mm-hmm. I, I agree with him. That's great, and it's a great book also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you you read it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's. Uh, I, I'm quite quite impressed with him. I I did go to his purpose conference in October as well. And made met some other people who were also working on purpose. It was pretty yeah. great. Yeah, we've got a lot of great people that are on the face of the earth today, and the more we focus on them, the stronger we get. Well, you know, one thing that I will say to this whole purpose, it is because, you know, it's become really quite a movement of sorts and certainly even an industry. Um, I had a woman on my show a couple, three weeks ago named Karen Hoyas, and she writes in her book, and we talked about it on the show, she says, right now, only one percent of the whole global population is fully working from their purpose, and that when we get to three, that human consciousness will be raised such that peace will actually become possible. Mm, That's beautiful. Isn't it, though? It is one of my sons has become quite a popular speaker and he recently spoke at an event and I got a chance to see it. And the theme of his presentation was, what are you willing to risk? And it really comes back to purpose. What is it that you care so much about that you believe in so much that you're willing to risk in order to advance it? And he's done that in his own life. And it's really what's created the platform for his leadership to influence others. Mm-hmm. You and I, you and I talked about him. What a what a remarkable man. Okay, so two more questions before I have to let you go. So the, the this next thing that you said that I think is important for us to say for ourselves and for our listeners is you 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 say that position, expertise, and character are always a work in progress, and it's that it's critical that we understand that we're not ever finished. There's always work to be done. We can't let success create complacency. Yeah, because that's really what keeps us growing, and that's what keeps life interesting. Um, I lost my father last August. He was just a couple months short of 94 years old. And one of the greatest examples that he set for me is that all the way up to the last few days, he was always enthusiastic about becoming a better person. He was always enthusiastic about developing his character and really developing his expertise. It's it's a little bit crazy, but he was still, he was an inventor and he was still inventing things into his 90s. Mm. But he demonstrated to me the zest of life and recognizing that we never cross the finish line in this life. At best, 
one of our greatest joys is when we get to pass the baton to the next generation, to the next group of leaders. And in a way, that's really where our book ends, is when David, Emily's mentor, gets the opportunity to pass the baton to her and to say, you go, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, listeners, just a bit of a cliffhanger. The the ending of the book is so beautiful. It's just beautiful, Ron. I just appreciate so much, as I told you before, how you how you finished the book. Thank you very much. And it still tugs at Stacy's in my heart every time we read it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's wonderful to, to be moved to tears, and that's what you did for me. Well, thank you, Elise. You, you know, because of your own work, that we we live to create value for others. So getting that feedback from you is very meaningful. Mm, thank you. And with that, here we are at the end of the show already, Ron. So um, what would you say in about 20 seconds? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I'd like to encourage them, first of all, to continue to listen to your show because you're doing a great job and you're having some great great uh, guests on your show. If they'd like to look into the book, they can get it any place that books are sold. It's available in ebooks. It's available on Audible. We actually hired professional actors to record it on Audible. And um, just encourage them that the only limits on your potential are the limits that you may have created yourself. And because you created them, you're the one who can tear them down. Beautiful way to finish. Now, if listeners want to find you, what's the best um, website to send them to? They can go to price-associates.com. And if they go there, we have a landing page for Growing Influence where we have some videos and additional materials as well. So it's price associatescom Wonderful. Ron, thank you so much for being a guest on my show and sharing your beautiful heart, soul, and wisdom with all of us. Thank you, Elise. It's been great to be with you. Absolutely. So I, 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 if you missed the show last week, uh, listeners, we were on the air with Bob Hopkins and Amit Banerjee talking about their whole focus on, on teaching philanthropy to kids and the impact that has made for both of their lives. Bob being the instructor and Amit being the, the student. A fantastic conversation. Next week, we'll be on the air with Sophie McLean talking about her incredible years-long quest to search for meaning and avoid the tedium of the everyday life. She has been on quite an adventure and shares a lot of what she's learned and transformed herself into today. See you there. Remember that work is at least one third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.